Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratik. This weekly report on tax credits is brought to you by Novogratik & Company, a national accounting, consulting, and valuation firm. If you're not familiar with our wide range of professional services, I invite you to learn more about us by visiting www.novaco.com. Today is Tuesday, November 17, 2009. This week, I will look at a publication released last week by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis that features a collection of brief articles that examine innovative ways to revitalize the low-income housing tax credit market. I will also share news regarding the self-professed financial outlook for the Federal Housing Administration, or FHA. FHA is the most important facilitator of debt for affordable rental housing today. As such, its financial health has a direct impact on the availability of affordable rental housing across America. Then I will discuss two renewable energy topics. First, I will share details of Senator Chuck Schumer's request that the Department of Energy review all energy projects that have asked for funding under the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program. That is the cash grant program that allows taxpayers to receive cash grants from the federal government in lieu of claiming renewable energy federal tax credits. Second, I will examine the details of the Solar Manufacturing Jobs Creation Act. This bipartisan piece of legislation would provide a federal tax credit to support the manufacture of solar components in the U.S., and it would encourage more U.S. companies to produce solar equipment. Before we get into today's topics, let's take a quick look at the tax credit calendar. This week, the American Wind Energy Association will present its Wind Energy Fall Symposium on Wednesday, November 18th and Thursday, November 19th. They are meeting in Orlando, Florida, and the symposium brings together wind energy professionals from all facets of the industry. At the conference, they learn more about the overall wind business, they discuss the most current obstacles and opportunities, and they have an opportunity to network with peers and make quality industry connections. Also, we at Novogratz Company are making final preparations for our tax credit housing conference. It will take place on Thursday, December 3rd and 4th in Las Vegas, Nevada. To learn more about the conference or to register, please visit www.novaco.com events. By the way, Novogratz Company is currently offering an annual pass for all 2010 conferences. For the one-time charge of $1,300, you can attend all 10 of Novogratz's 2010 tax credit conferences. That's a $6,500 value for only $1,300. The offer expires December 31st, so be sure to sign up now. Also, if you sign up now, you can use the pass to attend our Las Vegas tax credit housing conference in December. Now for our first topic. I'd like to briefly review the collection of articles about ways to revitalize the long housing tax credit that was released by the Federal Reserve Board last week. The ideas are contained in a publication that was commissioned by the Federal Reserve Board in partnership with the Community Affairs staff at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. The publication is entitled Innovative Ways for Revitalizing the LIHTC Market. It contains six articles by practitioners and experts in the LIHTC field. Each author presents an idea for bolstering the LHTC market. The six articles contain a broad range of ideas. First, John Wiest, President and CEO of the St. Louis Equity Fund, writes about the past and the future of both the St. Louis Equity Fund and LHTCs in general. Buzz Roberts, Senior Vice President for Policy and Program Development at Local Initiative Support Corporation, authored an article on modifying CRA the Community Reinvestment Act, to attract LIHTC capital. Joseph Flatley, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Housing Investment Corp., 
argues that the time is right for the federal government to co-invest in all HTC properties. Ian Galloway, an investment associate at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, explains potential ways to create a more robust LHTC market by attracting individual investors. Shaker Nara Simon, managing partner of Beekman Advisors, addresses what he labels the LHTC dilemma and the benefits of a secondary market solution. And Deborah Schwartz, director of program-related investments for the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, reviews a structuring approach that enhances LHTC investment in preservation projects. In a statement released on November 10th, the Federal Reserve Board says the Federal Reserve System has long had an interest in the LHTC as a means for fostering economic stability and opportunity in low-income communities. The Board also said that adverse conditions in the U.S. housing and mortgage markets underscore the importance of producing and rehabilitating affordable rental units, not only to provide homes for families, but also to help stabilize neighborhoods. A copy of the publication is available online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Go to our Research and Reports section and download it and review it. Any comments you have, we'd welcome hearing. You can send comments about the report to cpas at novaco.com. In related news, the Internal Revenue Service recently announced the inflation-adjusted low-income housing tax credit and private activity bond caps for 2010. For calendar year 2010, the amount used to calculate the state volume cap of LHTCs is the greater of $2.10 multiplied by the state population, or 2430000 The rate of $2.10 per capita is $0.20 cents lower than last year. This is because the temporary boost in volume cap that was provided by the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, or HERA, expires at the end of this year. The amount used to calculate the state ceiling for the volume cap for private activity bonds is the greater of $90 multiplied by the state's population, or $273,775,000. The $90 level is the same as in 2009. For additional details, you can find a copy of the announcement, Revenue Procedure 2009-50, at www.taxforthousing.com on the IRS guidance page. Nova Gratican Company, LLP, is also currently surveying state housing tax credit and bond agencies to gather their estimates for the amount of tax credits and bonds they expect to allocate in 2010. That information will be posted online in late December at www.taxcredithousing.com. It will also be published in the Nova Gratic Journal of Tax Credits, which will publish its inaugural issue in January. The Journal of Tax Credits will be an 80-page, full-color publication that expands on Novogratz & Company LLP's previous publications. The journal will cover the Long Housing Tax Credit, LHTC property compliance and monitoring issues, valuation topics, and tax-exempt housing bond news. It will include a new feature to Novogratz Publications, and that is a feature that will be dedicated to the Department of Housing and Urban Development programs, particularly those programs that support rental housing. The Journal of Tax Credits will also cover new market tax credits, renewable energy tax credits, and historic tax credits, hence its name, Journal of Tax Credits. The Novogratz Journal will feature even more columns written by industry experts, it will have more facts and figures, and more Q&As on tax credit topics. To subscribe to the new Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits, simply go to www.novaco.com products. In other housing news, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Federal Housing Administration released an update on FHA's financial outlook. 
Last week, HUD Secretary Sean Donovan and FHA Commissioner David H. Stevens briefed members of the media, industry leaders, and members of Congress on the FHA's financial outlook. This briefing was in coordination with the agency's release of its annual independent actuarial study. The independent study shows that FHA has sustained significant losses from loans made before 2009, and the capital reserve ratio has fallen below the congressionally mandated threshold. The report concludes that under most economic scenarios that were considered, FHA's reserves would remain above zero. FHA's capital reserve ratio, which is determined through findings from the independent actuarial study, measures reserves held in excess of those needed to cover losses projected for the next 30 years. The review projects the capital reserve ratio to be 0.53% of total insurance enforced this year. That's below the 2% statutory threshold required by Congress. A year ago, by comparison, this capital ratio was 3%, which, which, HUD says, is a reflection of the difficult conditions in the housing market. After the recent drop in the housing market, the FHA is now helping to facilitate the market's recovery. HUD reports that the volume of FHA insurance guarantees has increased since 2008, as private sources of mortgage finance have retreated from the market. Nearly 80% of FHA's purchase loan borrowers in 2009 were first-time home buyers. In the second quarter of 2009, nearly 50% of all first-time home buyers in the entire housing market used FHA-insured loans. During the press briefing, Donovan and Stevens also introduced Robert Ryan as the agency's new chief risk officer. As the first-ever chief risk officer in, in the FHA's history, Mr. Ryan will oversee the coordination of FHA's efforts to concentrate risk management in a single division devoted solely to managing and mitigating risk to the FHA's insurance fund across all FHA programs. Links to the FHA Annual Independent Actual Study and related information can be found online at www.hud.gov. Moving on to renewable energy matters, I have news regarding the Section 1603 Renewable Energy Cash Grant Program. Earlier this month, Senator Charles Schumer called for a comprehensive review of all renewable energy tax credit eligible projects that are seeking cash grant funding through the Section 1603 program. This is the program that allows owners to forego federal energy tax credits in exchange for receiving cash grants. Senator Schumer is urging the Obama administration to block any stimulus money from financing a proposed wind farm in Texas that would rely entirely on wind turbines built in China. The $1.5 billion project would create an estimated 2,000 to 3,000 jobs in China, but only a small fraction of that in the United States. The project organizers have said they will seek to defray as much as 30% of the cost of the project, or $450 million, with cash grants under the Section 1603 cash grant program. In a letter sent to U.S. Energy Secretary Dr. Stephen Chu, Senator Schumer urged that the project receive no stimulus dollars unless it relies on American-built products rather than the Chinese turbines. The project is a joint venture comprised of China's Xinyang Power Group, Cielo Wind Power, a Texas-based power company, and the U.S. Renewable Energy Group. Their plans are to build a 648-megawatt wind farm in West Texas, covering 36,000 acres. The electricity generated by this wind farm would be enough to power 135,000 to 180,000 American homes every year. The project would break down in March and cost about $1.5 billion. 
According to the New York Times, the project will generate as many as 3,000 jobs in Xinjiang, China, but only 330 jobs in the United States. Senator Schumer added in his letter that subsidizing China's clean energy sector runs counter to another goal of the stimulus: jumpstarting the clean energy industry domestically. He noted that Secretary Chu is well aware of these concerns, noting that Secretary Chu recently testified before the Senate about the rise of foreign countries like China in the race to pioneer clean energy technologies. In his letter to Secretary Chu, Senator Schumer cited a recent report by Russ Choma at the Investigative Reporting Workshop that found 84 percent of the 1.05 billion dollars in clean energy grants. Already distributed by the U.S. government since September 1st, have gone to foreign wind companies. Of the 11 wind farm projects that have received grants to date, 695 of the 982 wind turbines installed were built by foreign manufacturers. The complete text of Senator Schumer's letter can be found on his website at schumer.senate.gov. Senator Schumer's letter and its potential impact was discussed several times at the Novograd Renewable Energy Conference held in D.C. last week. Some industry experts noted that Senator Schumer did not express any objection to the fact that many U.S.-based companies have benefited from subsidies foreign countries provide for renewable energy production within their countries. There is concern that if Senator Schumer is successful in limiting U.S. renewable energy subsidies to U.S.-based companies, then foreign countries might retaliate and limit their subsidies to their foreign-based domestic manufacturers. This would set the stage for a renewable energy trade war. We will continue to monitor the impact of Senator Schumer's letter, and we will provide updates via this Tax Credit Tuesday podcast and the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits as new developments warrant. While we're on the renewable energy track, let's take a moment to consider new renewable energy legislation. A bill was introduced last week to add equipment and facilities used to manufacture solar power technology to the list of property eligible for the 30% solar investment tax credit. On November 9th. Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey introduced S two seven five five, also known as the Solar Manufacturing Jobs Creation Act. Supporters say the bipartisan legislation will provide a tax credit to support solar manufacturing in the United States, and it will encourage more U.S. companies to produce solar equipment, thereby creating jobs and investing in the nation's clean energy economy. The bill is co-sponsored by Senators Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, Michael Bennett of Colorado. And Christian Gillibrand of New York, in a statement released on November 10th, Senator Stabenow said, and I quote: "Michigan companies continue to lead the way in solar manufacturing, creating good-paying jobs, and laying the foundation for 21st-century manufacturing." As a member of the Senate Finance Committee, I co-authored the first-ever tax credit for manufacturers of advanced technologies in the Recovery Act. This bill will provide additional tax credits for solar equipment manufacturers. That will help us win the global race against China and other countries to produce solar technology in a clean energy economy. End quote. The United States does appear to be losing the global race for solar technology, as the other countries provide incentives to invest in solar manufacturing. According to the Solar Energy Industry Association, the United States produced more than 40 percent of the world's solar photovoltaic cells a decade ago. In 2008, the U.S. produced only 5 percent of the world's solar cells. The association estimates that the tax credits in this legislation will generate 315,000 new domestic jobs. Currently, a 30% solar investment tax credit, or SITC, exists for the investment in or installation of solar power technology. Under the Solar Manufacturing Jobs Creation Act, 
equipment and facilities used to manufacture solar power technology would be added to the eligible property list for the SITC. These technologies include solar cells, silicon evacuated tubes, and flat plate solar collectors. S-2755 has been referred to the Senate Finance Committee. Congressman Dave Camp is expected to introduce companion legislation in the House later this month. Nivergatting Company will continue to track this proposal and update listeners in future podcasts and online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Now it's time for this week's Project Profile segment. On November 3rd, Raymond James Tax Credit Funds announced that it had partnered with J.P. Morgan Capital Corporation to provide more than $10 million in low-income housing tax credit equity for construction of a state-of-the-art senior housing facility in Chicago. The closing of the deal marked the opening of a new fund between Raymond James Tax Credit Fund and J.P. Morgan, known as Raymond James Housing Opportunities Fund 8. Wrightwood Senior Apartments are already under construction and are scheduled for completion by August 2010. The project will have a total of 85 units, most of them for seniors aged 62 or older, and will earn less than 60% of the area's median income. The property will have an on-site library, lounge areas on each floor, a central laundry facility, exercise facilities, elevators, and an outdoor picnic patio area. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week when I will discuss financial reform legislation that Senator Chris Dodd unveiled on November 10th. I will also review a draft proposal the Hawaii Public Housing Authority is considering that would result in the sale of its public housing properties and end state oversight of public housing. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.